The reading is Exodus 20, verse 1, and verses 13 to 17. And God spoke all these words. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbour. You shall not covet your neighbour's house. You shall not covet your neighbour's wife or his manservant or maidservant, his ox or donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbour. Okay, so before Marco comes to speak, um, let's just pray for him. Dear Heavenly Father, we just thank you for Marco. Um, we thank you, Lord, for the word that you've given to him to bring to us today. We pray, Lord, that you would um, take him and that you would speak through him this afternoon into each one of our lives. We pray that we would have open and receptive hearts to hear and to respond to your word. And Lord, that we, as you reveal things to us, that we would, um, that we would be transformed by your spirit, that we would change. So be with us, we pray in your name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Keith. Thank you, Helen. Thank you, Thomas, for praying for us. Um, I'm going to begin with a, a very short, well-known prayer that I've prayed before, some of you know. Uh, and if you don't know it yet, uh, I hope you'll learn it and be able to say it with me another time. But uh, until then, uh, just say Amen. So let me pray briefly. Father, what we know not, teach us. What we have not, give us. What we are not, make us. For your son's sake. Amen. Well, here we are uh, already at the end of our short series through the Ten Commandments. Uh, or as you might remember, I called them a month or so ago, the Ten Words of Life. And uh, I trust you've been encouraged. I trust you've seen that although God spoke these words of life to his people three and a half thousand years ago, he spoke them for all his people for all time. The Bible tells us all scripture is breathed out by God. And to what end? To teach, to rebuke, to correct, to train you and me in righteousness. In other words, God has spoken these words to you so that you, as a Christian, will know how to live in a way that honors him, that's kind and loving to those around you, and that makes you happy. Well, we can think of the Ten Commandments that way. Uh, the first few teach us how to love and honor a holy God. Then the rest teach us how to honor and love those around us our family, our friends, our neighbors. For example, the commandment, you shall not murder, teaches us to value and protect all human life. The commandment, you shall not commit adultery, teaches us to value and protect the sanctity of marriage as God ordained it. That is, marriage between one man and one woman before God for life. The commandment, you shall not steal, teaches us to value and protect creative enterprise and responsible stewardship of all God has entrusted to you and to others. The commandment, you shall not bear false witness, teaches us to value and protect justice and the mechanisms by which justice is administered in human society. But what about the last commandment? What does that teach us? You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife. Uh, or his servants, or his ox, or his donkey, anything that belongs to him. What does this commandment teach us? Well, we're going to zoom in on this last commandment and ask three questions. Question one, 
Why did God command this? Question two, what does it look like to keep it or not keep it? Question three, we'll get to when we get to. So three questions. Why did God command this? What does it look like to keep it or not keep it? How might you know if you are keeping it or not keeping it? And question three, we'll come to in, in a little while. Okay, so first, why did God command this? You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, his house, his business, his success, his car, his holidays, his lifestyle, anything else that belongs to him. Well, to covet is to want wrongly. To covet something is to want it wrongly. Now, that could mean wanting the wrong thing, like your neighbor's wife. She's his wife, not yours. So it's wrong to want her for yourself. Or it could mean wanting a thing that is not in itself a wrong thing to want. Say, for example, a promotion at work. But wanting it the wrong way so that you badmouth your colleagues in, to push yourself forward for the promotion. Disordered desire, wanting wrongly or wrong wanting. That's what coveting is. So why did God command not to do this, not to covet? Well, the way that question is offered on, often answered is to say that this commandment is, in a way, like a gatekeeper to the others. When you open the gate of wrong wanting, then wrong actions follow. When we wrongly desire something that is not ours, well, that's what leads to murder, to theft, to adultery, and to dishonesty. Because you must get that thing that you want, even if the getting of it involves harming someone else. For example, when King David saw and wrongly wanted his neighbor Uriah's wife, he took her. That's theft. He got her pregnant. That's adultery. He arranged for Uriah to be killed. That's murder. And he lied to cover it up. And it all began with David coveting, wrongly wanting what was not his. His desires, his wants were supposed to be the gatekeeper. But when the gatekeeper turned wrong, when the desires themselves went bad, theft and adultery, murder and lying stormed in and brought generations of pain and death and destruction. So one answer to the question, why did God give this command, is to say failure to keep this command leads to all these other human evils, murder, adultery, theft, deceit, all the human evils that plague the world from the level of personal relationships uh, right up to the level of corporate and institutional and even national theft, imperialism, deceit. They all come from wrong wanting. Our desires, our wants, are the gatekeepers of our actions. But that answer isn't enough. And it isn't, I don't think, the main reason why God gave this commandment. That reason is true, um, but it's not enough. Think about it. The other commandments, up to number nine, already say, don't do those things. So why does God add the commandment, do not covet? Or let me ask it a different way. If God knew that you would never murder or commit adultery or steal or deceive, would he still have spoken the 10th commandment? 
would it still be necessary? Does the Tenth Commandment only matter as a gatekeeper to the others, to guard and protect life, marriage, property, justice, etc.? Or is there also another reason God gave it? Well, I'm sure you remember last week, uh, Peter showed us a traffic sign showing, I think it was 20 miles an hour, and he asked, uh, what is the person who put the sign here trying to protect? And we said it was pedestrians, um, especially school, ch school children. Uh, you remember that, I'm sure. Well, did you notice that there wasn't another sign next to that one saying, why are you in such a hurry anyway? You see, if the sign already says, don't go faster than 20, in other words, if the action of driving too fast is already dealt with, then why do we need another sign dealing with your motive for being in a hurry? If socially destructive actions, murder, adultery, theft, deceit, are the only thing God has in mind, then the other commandments already deal with those and we don't need this last one. It doesn't add anything if behavior towards other people is the only motivation. There must be another reason for this commandment. Well, a little while uh, after King David had taken his neighbor's wife, after he had committed theft, adultery, murder, deceit, the Lord confronted him through the prophet Nathan. This is what the Lord said to David. He said, I made you king over Israel, and I delivered you from the hand of Saul. I gave Saul's house and his household to you. I, I in fact, gave you all of Israel and Judah, and I would have given you more. Why did you despise the word of the Lord by doing what is evil? You struck down Uriah with the sword and took his wife. You killed him. You killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. Now, therefore, the sword will never depart from your house because you despised me took the wife of Uriah to be your own. Now I'm going to run through the main points of that passage again. In just a second, um, John will put a slide up on the screen to help us. And as I go through it, I want you to hear that passage again, where the Lord speaks to David through the prophet Nathan, but hear it with the Ten Commandments already in your ears. Hear the Lord's word to Israel and the Lord's word to David together. Um, John, if you would put the slide up, uh, that would be great. And if, okay, I see it's up. Thank you. Uh, okay, well, you remember how the Ten Commandments begin. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. And the Lord's word to David, I appointed you king. I delivered you. I gave you Saul's house and household. I gave you Israel. And I would have given you, any, I would have given you even more. You see the parallels there. The Lord said to Israel, you shall not murder, commit adultery, steal, bear false witness. And the Lord said to David, why did you despise the word of the Lord? You did commit murder and adultery and steal and lie. The Lord said to Israel, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife. To David, you despised me and took the wife of Uriah. You despised me and took. Well, right there is the heart of coveting. You despised me and took. The actions that you took part of it were to the harm of another person. You murdered, you committed adultery, you stole, you lied. 
you took. You hated and harmed your neighbor, but you despised me. The Lord who gave you everything you have, the Lord who made you king, you despised. The Lord who delivered you from Saul, you despised. The Lord who gave you all Israel and Judah, you despised. You despised me and you took. Thanks, John. We're done with the slide. You can uh, take that down now. Thank you. David wanted wrongly. His desires were wrong. The gatekeeper of his heart had gone wrong. And so the gate was opened and every wickedness followed. Every wickedness was sure to follow. But that's not all. He despised the Lord, the Lord who had given and given and given and given. To covet is first to despise the Lord, to take his goodness and his grace and spit on it, to say to the Lord, your goodness is not enough for me. Your kindness is not enough for me. You are not enough for me. You despised me and you took. So why did God give this commandment? To reveal to you and to me the true state of your heart apart from his grace. To reveal to you that left to yourself, yours and mine, is a heart that despises the Lord and takes. Left to yourself, apart from grace, your heart will not overflow with thanksgiving to God for his undeserved kindness. Left to yourself, your heart will use God to get what you want, what you determine you need to make you happy. Left to yourself, apart from grace, your heart will not move towards worship. No, left to your heart, your, beg your pardon, left to yourself, your heart will worship itself. Which is why the Apostle Paul says in his letter to the Colossians, put to death whatever belongs to your earthly nature, evil desires, wrong wanting, covetousness, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You see, you and I need this commandment, friend. Because without it, you might believe that you're a pretty good person. You might deceive yourself and almost everyone else into believing that you're a person with a good heart who every now and then makes mistakes, gets things wrong, behaves in less than fantastic ways. <laughs> you might believe that lie. And believing that lie will seal you to the coming wrath. You need this commandment, friend. Not just as a gatekeeper to restrain you from actions that harm other people. But not less than that. But you need this commandment to reveal to you the state of your heart apart from grace. Left to yourself, you have a God-despising heart. So that brings us to the second question. How do you know if you're coveting? Does your heart want wrongly? What might wrong wanting look like? 
Well, let me suggest three signs that you and I have a problem with coveting. Three ways you can test for wrong wanting in your own heart. Test number one. You might be coveting if you've hurt others to take what you want. For example, has your desire to enhance your own reputation ever been so strong that you've put others down? So subtly, of course, <laughs> to show that you're really the one people should admire in this situation. You're really the one they should look to. Have you done that at work? Uh, have you done that even to your own brothers and sisters in Christ, even in this church? Have you despised God, not trusting his will for your reputation? So you've taken it, even to the hurt of others. Test number two. You might be coveting if you're unwilling to let go of treasured things. Material and financial examples are, are obvious, but what about the image of yourself that you treasure? For example, you've always been the one with the right answer in your team at work. When somebody else suddenly has all the good ideas, it might rub you up the wrong way. And a, a word here, a comment there, um, to protect the image you hold of yourself. You've always been the one in charge of flowers at church, but your elders ask you to consider helping out with the creche and letting someone else take care of the flowers. But you so treasure the compliments you get every week on your flower arrangements. <laughs> you treasure the image you have of yourself as the best flower arranger, so you're unwilling to let it go. Or you do let it go, but begrudgingly and making sure to let a few others in the church know that the new flower arrangements just aren't quite what they should be. Have you despised God? Not trusting that he knows where best you can serve his church and what will make you happiest. If only you will embrace his call. Will you let go of what you treasure? Your father will never take from you, but he will sometimes empty your hands so that you're able to receive what he wants to give you. Will you despise or trust him? Test number three, you might be coveting if you often think, if only I had fill in the blank, then I would be happy. What's in the blank? What's in the blank? What's in the blank? What's in the blank? Nicer house, more money in the bank, uh, more success at work or at school, better health, a slimmer waist, um, the recognition you deserve for your talents. For most of us, that blank, whatever goes in the, if only I had, for most of us, that is our functional God. That's the thing we think we can't truly be happy without. Coveting is at its heart worship, worship of something other than God. Okay, let's recap. Why does God command that we do not covet, that we don't want wrongly? Reason number one, because our deepest desires are the gatekeepers to our actions. And when we desire wrongly, then murder, adultery, theft, deceit in all their forms don't just follow, they are sure to follow. Reason number two, 
you despised me and took. Coveting starts with despising God. Coveting makes something else God, and you bow to that thing. That thing that will never truly satisfy your soul. The wants of your soul are so deep, so massive, that they can only be satisfied ultimately by God himself. But coveting says, no, God, you're not enough. What does coveting look like? You might be coveting if you've hurt others to take what you want. You might be coveting if you're unwilling to let go of treasured things. You might be coveting if you often think, if only I had, fill in the blank, then I would be happy. But that leaves us, all of us, with a, a problem, a serious problem. Because not one of us comes out on the right side of those three tests. <laughs> not all of them. Not all the time. The examples I gave uh, might not have hit home for you, but some other example will. You fail, friend. As do I. Do not covet. Do not want wrongly reveals to you the state of your heart apart from grace. Left to yourself, you have a God-despising, taking heart. Which leads us to question number three. How can we please God? Can we? Is it possible? Well, it was possible for David, even after his sin. And it is possible for us too. Uh, after the prophet Nathan confronted David, um, David wrote Psalm 51. And I'm just going to pick out a couple of highlights from there to, uh, to share with you. In verses 1 and 2, David says, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. David trusted in God's mercy. And we trust likewise in God's mercy, now expressed in Christ. But it is God's mercy that we trust. David goes on in verses 3 and 4 to say, My sin is ever before me against you. You only have I sinned. You only. After murder, adultery, lying, David hurt many people. But the sin he has in mind here is a sin against God. He trusts in God's mercy for his covetousness. And he goes on more than just for forgiveness. In verse 10, he says, create in me a clean heart or a pure heart, your translation might say. Create in me a clean or a pure heart, O God. In relation to his covetousness, to his wrong wanting, David pleads with the Lord, give me a heart that wants rightly. So can you please God? Yes. By trusting in the Lord's mercy, by trusting in his mercy, not just for the forgiveness of your sin, but that he will change your heart, little by little, to want rightly. Verse 16, you do not delight in the formalities of religious ritual, David prays, 
but you do delight when I bring you my broken and contrite heart. When I'm honest with you, God, when I, when I say to you, God, my heart is wrong, have mercy on me, change my heart. God delights in that. Trust in the work of the Holy Spirit to wash your heart whiter than snow, verse 7, in respect of this sin, that in respect of your wrongly wanting heart, God would make you clean and pure, that little by little your wanting will be made right. This was the testimony of a first century Jewish Pharisee as well, who greatly coveted his reputation until he met Christ. And then all his wrong wantings were made right. In fact, he said, now I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Not just to know about Jesus, but to know him, to love him, to follow him, to be like him. And that means the opposite of coveting, the opposite of wrong wanting. It means your heart put right to want the things your heavenly father wants. In fact, the Apostle Paul went so far as to say, I even want the privilege of sharing in his sufferings, in Jesus' sufferings, becoming like him in his death. In other words, wanting nothing but God's will to be done for God's glory and the ultimate good of others. Elsewhere, Paul tells us to be imitators of God as beloved children, to walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Left to yourself, your heart despises the Lord and takes. You despised me and you took, the Lord said to David. That's your heart left to itself. That's you without Jesus. You despise and you take. But trusting in Christ for his mercy, for his grace to be at work in your heart by the Spirit, not just to forgive you for your sin, but to change you, your heart becomes like the heart of Jesus. No longer you despised and you took. But as Christ, you loved and you gave. This is our salvation, friends. Not just that we are forgiven, but that we are changed. We need this command. We need it. Not just to restrain bad behavior. It's not just an objective moral code for the world. This command tells us, our hearts are broken. Our hearts are wrong. At the very core of who we are and what we want, something has gone wrong. We need the gospel. We need Jesus to save us, to forgive us our sin, and to change us from the inside out. No longer you despised and you took, but imitating Christ. May it be said of us, just as it was of Christ, you loved, and therefore you gave. Won't you bow your hearts with me as I pray? Father God, we confess, as David did, 
Against you we have sinned. We have wronged each one of us, many people, in our families, in our church, at work. We have wronged and hurt many. But against you we have sinned. Because we have despised you, we have said, God, you are not enough. We will take matters into our own hands and secure our own happiness. We will decide what's precious and we will take it and get it and keep it at all costs. Forgive us, Father. Wash our hearts whiter than snow, creating us new hearts, hearts that love you, that love our Lord Jesus, hearts that follow after him and say, I want to be like him. I so love what I see in Jesus. I want to be like him too. Father, would you, by your spirit, continue to be at work in our hearts so that it could rightly be said of us, imperfectly, no doubt, but truly, nevertheless. These are people who loved and therefore gave. I see Jesus in them. Amen.